This episode is brought to you by 9AM Health. 9AM Health, diabetes care that fits your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Healing in Hindsight, your no BS source for thriving with diabetes. Taylor Danielle here, and I am super excited for today's conversation. It is with someone that I've actually been wanting to talk with for a while. And as luck would have it, things just fell into place. And who am I talking about? I am talking about Rob Howe over at Diabetics Doing Things. And he is a fellow Texan out in Dallas. And for those of you who know or may not know, I'm from the Dallas area. So it was really cool to catch up with another fellow Texan and hear about all the great things that he's doing as well as the words of wisdom that he drops. I think he shares some great perspectives. Shout out to Glucose Gang Mike again for the connection. That is how I was able to reach out to him from his live. So if you haven't, make sure you head over to Glucose Gang Mike's Instagram page to watch that Instagram live. It's really great. But so much energy, so much truth, so much gratitude in this episode. And so I feel like anybody, diabetic or not, can really walk away with something valuable. So I hope you guys enjoy. And with that being said, here's a combo with Rob. Perfect. You're listening to Healing in Hindsight, your no BS source for thriving with diabetes. What's up, guys? I'm Taylor Danielle, and it's my goal to help millennial diabetics like myself live an amazing life without your diagnosis getting in the way. I get it. I was diagnosed back in 2015 with type 2 diabetes, and it was really hard to find people around my age to understand how to travel, socialize, or even have meaningful relationships. But I feel like with a focus on mindset, perspective, and nutrition, together we can take back our health and our lives. Consider this the red table talk, but for diabetics. Minus the entanglements, though. So let's do it. Hi, what's going on, Taylor? Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad to have you here. A whole lot of nada in Austin, Texas. Hope you're staying dry out there in Dallas. You know, the sun came out today, which was like this really pleasant experience. I like walked outside after getting done with work and I felt the sun. I was like, wow, is this what this is? is Right? I'm trying to think of, is is there something else going on? Like it's June. Pretty sure April showers was supposed to bring May flowers, but it brought more rain. So are we just on a backlog after last year? I don't even know. I keep hearing the rumors of this thing called like climate change or like something. And I think they're starting to, it's starting to prove that there might be something to that. Uh, Cause yeah, you're right. It's a little bit of a different vibe in summertime here in Texas these days. Yeah. Snow caps uh, can melt. Um, Yeah. That's what I keep hearing. I'm really excited to have you. For those who don't know, Rob, I actually watched him with a live uh, with glucose gang, Mike, shout out to him. Big shout out. And Yeah. And I'd actually been following Diabetics Doing Things Instagram for a while and I've listened to the show and I've like always had this idea of, man, it'd be really cool to have Rob on the show. And then when I had Mike on after we hopped off, I was like, yeah, I've got a list of people that I'd like to connect with. He's like, oh, Rob? Yeah. Just let me know. And then y'all got on live and I was like, okay, clearly I need to hit this man up. <laughs> and really exciting to work with another fellow Texan to talk all things diabetes. So, uh, Oh yeah. When you said, Hey, I'm based in Austin and I've got diabetes and I, I watched your live with Mike. I was like, okay, check, check, check. Like when do we start? <laughs> Let's get this thing rolling. How fun. And, and, and also really big shout too. out to that. Oh, sorry for stepping on you there, but big shout out to Mike for that interview. I hadn't done an interview in a while. It's kind of been the, the rhythm of things. Like you said, it's been off. And so uh, it was nice to be on the other side of the interview chair. And what a great interview that went places like right away that I didn't really expect. And we talked a lot about mental health and we talked a lot about depression and it was, uh, I don't know, it was a really safe, welcoming space. So I'm glad that that was uh, the experience that you got to, to see on that episode of the Glucose Gang inter- live interviews. It was a blast and shout out Mike again for uh, doing all the work that he's doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I I appreciate men who are willing to sit down and talk with each other about mental health. It's so important. And so I definitely wanted to make sure I tune in and support it because with everything that's been going on, it's finally, I feel like it's like finally the guy's turn to really get to do some deep work and feel just as welcome and fulfilled in spaces that is typically projected at women. And so I really appreciated you guys being able to open up and be vulnerable about that kind of thing. Cause I am a huge mental health advocate, but especially for men, because I get it. You guys are challenged with being the face of the strong family and things like that. And, but people need to know y'all have feelings too. 
and they need to be expressed and explored and open to be receptive to. It was such a great talk. So I'm, I'm really glad that you guys got to connect on that. Of course. And mental health is part of part of life. And especially I think over the last year and a half, just everybody being at home and quarantine and dealing with COVID and the sea of bad news that continuously bombards all of us, it can be very difficult to deal with. And yeah, if you're a guy out there and you need somebody to talk to, hit me up. Let's, it's a safe space. And I think one of the first things I ever really wrote, and we're going to talk a lot about my life with diabetes. One of the things I ever wrote for beyond type one was be on diabetes and manhood uh, was the mm. the talk and at the end it was really a call to action very much like you said about mental health if we just follow the example of the women with diabetes who are being vulnerable and open about their stories i think we can cover a lot of ground really fast and that there's men out there who need to read from other men and see from other men that di living with diabetes and and occasionally struggling with it and dealing with the ups and the downs is normal. And so, yeah, props to uh, all the ladies for leading the charge on not only talks about diabetes, but also in mental health. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think we're seeing a, a big shift in spaces. I actually did a live stream earlier uh, talking about like people living for themselves finally and really pushing. And when you start to do that, the shifts that start to happen in your life of like opportunities and releasing things. Even I talked about weight, but not physical weight, like people weight sometimes. Just understanding that there are certain things that are for you and certain things that aren't and digging deep into your mind and even your spirit, in my opinion, are really big ways to discover those things. And I feel like we're now in a place where those things can co coexist now, along with working, along with trying to make a name for yourself, however that may be. It doesn't have to be from a famous level, but just doing something for yourself. Because uh, at least my dad told me like, hey, when you leave the house, you represent my name. That's all you got. And that's something that I feel is a thing that I appreciate about last year. If there's a whole lot to appreciate about last year, but it's the world's collective. Hey, everybody needs to sit down in a corner and think for a bit <laughs> and not struggle so much with the, the grind that we were trained into being in. And now we're looking at the world a lot differently about how can we go back to the space where life balance really was a thing because there was a moment of that when it's really cool to see those shifts happening for everybody now and not just special groups of people. I couldn't agree more. I think change is hard and even positive change is, is very difficult. Yeah. One thing I wrote very recently, I was able to finally get out and take a vacation and take some, a few days off of work and really be intentional about shutting off my phone and, and distancing myself from just kind of screen addiction. And one of the things I wrote down on a blank sheet of paper as I was just like getting bored and allowing myself to live in that area where I, I couldn't just Google everything that popped into my head or scroll yeah. and, and be stimulated by things that I see on the internet. And one of the things I wrote down was show up in your own life and be present in your own life. And for me personally, I have a lot going on and I'm a guy who has always identified with doing a lot of things and diabetics doing things is really an ethos that I live with in and out of diabetes. But sometimes I forget to show up for myself and I, I forget to operate from that place of power. And so something I read uh, many years ago now was grow your talent for being present in every situation in everyday life. Mm -hmm. And it is a talent. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely working through that. I've not mastered it, but my good days, I show up for myself. And that is something that I, five minutes into this pod, if you take nothing else, show up for yourself. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I know who you are. And I know a lot of people in many different spaces, even when I was a, a hiring manager. Of, so tell me about yourself. I was like, I hate that question. So I'll be very intentional and specific. Who are you as Rob in terms of what do you do, where you're from, and what your passions are? Yeah. So I'm Rob Howe. I am 32 going on 33 years old and I am from Dallas, Texas. I wasn't born here, but, and I moved around a lot when I was younger. So I don't have that Texas accent y'all, but I can take it. <laughs> I don't I either, <laughs> but I claim Dallas, Texas as my home. And it's where I've lived most of my life. And my wife, Erica, and I live here on the East side of town. And I do a lot of things. The things I think from my career perspective, which is I think in that open-ended, tell me about yourself. One of the things that we lean on, especially in Western culture is what is your occupation? And my occupation is I'm an entrepreneur. I run an ad agency that uh, has, we have 24 people now here in, in Dallas with my business partner, Sterling, and it's called Recreation. And 
We are, have been in business uh, four and a half years, and that has been just an incredible journey and continues to be uh, every day. I also am the founder of Diabetics Doing Things, which is uh, the podcast that we talked about earlier. We've got like over 200 episodes total now over the last five years. It also extends over into Instagram and YouTube, and I'm a diabetes personality of sorts, uh, influencer, if that's a word that you like to identify with. And my passions, I love my family. I and My family knows that I love basketball and basketball. Basketball has been my first love. It's still my favorite thing. It brings joy in ways that many things just can't hold a candle to that flame. I don't care if I'm watching middle school level 1A Texas basketball in high, or, in, or if I'm watching the NBA finals, it just uh, it juices me up and, and it's what I love to do. I also love being creative and coming up with creative problem solving for our ad agency. And we, we do really amazing. I was always interested in videos and, and photography. And we talked a little bit earlier about audio production and how that all comes together and writing. And I learned after I was done playing basketball, that's a job you can have is you can create content and create uh, TV commercials and create radio spots and create social media content. And I was like, wow, this is cool. I really enjoy this. Those are some passions. I also love fashion and shoes. I think that stems from my athletic background. And I do also, when I'm happiest, I think, um, with my wife and our, our dogs and or we're on a beach somewhere and nobody's bothering me. I think that's a really nice place. I love breathing fresh air and sunshine. And yeah, I don't know. Those are things that I'm passionate about for sure. Oh, and I you guess had- the, the final thing I would say, I'm pa- or two things. I love big studio Hollywood action movies. And, and I'm, I'm not ashamed to say that. I think at a, at a younger me would have tried to try to be more artsy, but I, that I'm just owning who I am. And I also love incremental progress. And I think understanding that a success is not linear, that progress is not linear, that you just keep trying and keep putting in a little bit over a long period of time, you'll realize that you've really come a long way. And those are things that I try to remind myself on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I'm with you on the big studio action Hollywood movies. I have a mission to go back and rewatch every Marvel movie in order because I know I'm out of order, um, especially the newer Spider-Man movies. And people are like, what? I still haven't seen Venom. Like, there's a list. So I'm all for it. I just sometimes it's just absurd the things that get made and how big and the scale that they are. I'll go watch and like how things age. I love I'm starting to fall in love with digging into history of things and kind of, and how we got to where we are today, even from an entertainment standpoint. You know, what I love the first five minutes of Commando, where Arnold Schwarzenegger is basically just carrying a giant tree and it's just, he's just basically chopping a tree for the first five minutes. And like, then he has cereal breakfast with his daughter, who's Alyssa Milano. It's just a wild, stupid, crazy thing. And I just love the unintentional comedy behind it. So yeah, I, or that, or like Bad Boys 2, where it's just like beauty oh, shots classic. of Will Smith, like glistening in the sun. <laughs> just I, That makes me laugh. And I just love that stuff. I will say I appreciated how they did three because everybody kept coming back to do all these sequels and stuff. And so many years have passed. It was really good. I think they did a good job and I think they uh, did well in, in the potential that it could continue on. And I will say, I don't know how they keep getting me, but the Fast series oh, keeps man, yeah. luring me back in. And after, like, Just we definitely plan to go see the veins. next one. Yeah, like, after I saw the end of that trailer, I was like, there are questions. There are so many questions that y'all need to answer. And of course, I'm going to throw my money at this because I need to understand how one of my favorite characters is back. And y'all playing with my emotions. Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. Yeah, they've got me hooked too. I get it. So hooked. Like, going to have the box set. I just know it. Like, just for no reason. I, and I know the logical side of me is this is a waste. Don't do it. And I'm like, I'm so going to do it. I'm so going to do it. <laughs> Well, that's awesome, dude. I might have to pick your brain about the video aspect because jumping into video has been a fun, interesting struggle of I recognize very early. I don't mind editing videos. I don't want to edit videos. And so, yeah, and there's so much to learn. And I think that's what's interesting to me about it is there's this constant evolution. And somebody I heard say a long time ago, when you're a content creator, content begats more content. And the social media platforms change. And if you're if you're passionate about trying to contribute whatever it is that you make to the world, evolving in that capacity, you've got to learn how to match those things. And I will say I'm ill prepared to be my own one man production studio, but 
there's this sort of, there's this thing on the internet where you can learn almost everything. And I think I actually missed a big passion of mine too. We just got so, I got so swept up in loving action movies that I'm super passionate about people with diabetes and, and being an example and helping them and connecting dots for them. Being able to do that on the internet is also a, a really fun thing for me. So yeah, I get it. It's the everyday kind of concept. Back to that incremental progress. It's just when you think you got something mastered, you're asked to do something else. And that's my experience as an entrepreneur in many capacities. Yeah, man. I, it's interesting because I feel like we have very similar backgrounds and we're just now crossing paths because I technically started this back in 2015 as well, but I tried to make it a blog <laughs> and <clears throat> excuse me, writing is something that I do love, but I thought it needed to be like medical grade research papers because it's diabetes and I got to make sure it's right. And so I just flopped around and like, I redid the website like five times for no reason and everything else like that. And then this past year I was like, dude, you talk about this all the time. Your dad has a studio. Hello. Just get on the podcast. And it's been so interesting, the ride of it. And like you said, that incremental progress of I'm being approached for different things. And I'm thinking nobody's paying attention to me, by the way. I'm like, uh uh-uh. Like nobody's paying attention. So when I did like the Healthline thing, and then I moderated a talk for Beyond Type 1 recently as well. And it was just like, I really underestimated the power of the internet (laughs) and thinking that nobody's paying attention because we're so used to the idea of like vanity metrics. And if you don't have thousands of this and thousands of that, you're not relevant. And then someone hits you up in your DMs and like, Hey, can we, can we ask you to do this? Or you want to get paid to do this? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that'd be really cool. What? And it's about something I love and I care about. Isn't that something that my dad told me to do? Yeah, I think we'll sign up for that. You know, that's one, and we're going to talk about diabetics doing things later, but I, changing your metrics is something that when I go speak and I've gotten, I've been very fortunate to go to speak at diabetes events throughout the country and over the last few years. And one of the things I always say to people is to change your metrics. And the way that I did that at the start, and not very many people know this, I guess I've said it before, but diabetics doing things also, I was like, I should start a blog, except I know myself. And I was like, starting a blog is a great way for me to write exactly zero blogs. I, I was, that's just my writer brain. I, I could, I have to go figure out, oh, oh, I can't write until everything's in place in the kitchen or like I've dusted off all my shoes or everything's in the right place. And so I started the podcast because I love people and letting them tell their stories and me being curious about it and getting to ask about it was a whole lot more sustainable than just writing a bunch of blogs that you know, were in my own head. But changing your metrics is really important. And my goal from the start was to help one person. And mm. I made a challenge to myself that I would do 10 episodes. I commit to do 10 episodes. And if one person reached out in that time and said, hey, this was cool or this helped me, then I would say, okay, this is something that I need to continue to do. And I was very fortunate that early on, because of the amazing people that agreed to come on my show before it was even really a thing, and it was basically just a concept in 2015, as the podcasts were not as popular as they are today. And yeah. they believed in me and they signed on and... Fortunately, people said, hey, this was cool. This helped me. And like you said, you never realize how many people that you could potentially reach uh, and touch over the years. And however many, a million some odd downloads of the pod later over a long period of time, lots of social media mentions, speaking on panels, talking to people, lots of conversations about diabetes. Uh, What I say is change your metrics. You do not have to have... uh, expert YouTube level millions of subscribers to make an impact. You can share your story even just once. And if one person sees it, it may make a difference in their life. And that to me is a a metric that's not going to appear on any like cool report, but is something that me, I think is measuring that impact and hearing people say, come up to me at, at events or conferences or just in conversations and say, you know what, you said this thing and it really helped me when I needed it. And that means more to me than, you know, any of the other stuff that comes along with it. Yeah, absolutely. I think, like you said, I think for me, finally immersing myself in the community was such a huge change because I tried to keep it to type two. I thought that's the only people I needed to associate with because I couldn't relate to type one. A lot of those people were diagnosed really early or their parents and that's just, it didn't feel right, honestly. And so I'm really glad that I changed that mindset. I think it was midway through season two. Of, oh, I'm actually meeting some really cool diabetics who are type two. And why can't I talk to them? Who I would says, actually say the, the, rule? <laughs> the same thing in reverse for me is that I live with type one and I, most of my podcast guests are type one diabetics, but 
I met some amazing people with type two diabetes and I started to realize, and I think culturally as a diabetes community first, and, and I think this will extend into the greater population as the years go by. And as we continue to raise more awareness, but the lines are starting to blur a little bit and type yeah. one is not so different from type two, from a anecdotal perspective as we thought years ago. And I think a lot of the people who are very hyper involved in the diabetes community on the type one side are starting to realize that some of the language that we use to separate our diabetes over the years is really damaging to both sides and inclusive diabetes community, people with diabetes. It's not just T1D looks like me anymore. It's people with diabetes. And I think that I was fortunate to, to name my platform Diabetics Doing Things because it encompasses type one, type two, LADA, type three C, you know, other, and, and, and other forms of diabetes that as we learn, as we know, it's not the same for everyone. And yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm glad that there's a cultural awakening within the diabetes community, which are, if we look at the, like the consumer awareness pyramid, are very early adopters, very hyper-informed sort of influencers, not in the sense that we think they have a lot of followers, but they influence the way that people think about things. And I'm glad that the conversations are happening because there, there's been a lot of conversations that have been damaging from the type 1 diabetes community towards the type 2 community, really with best intentions, I think. Uh, for the yeah. most part, I'm sure there's some exceptions there, but now we're starting to realize that it needs to be a, a, a us, not an either or, very inclusive and, and talk about people with diabetes, not just type one or type two. Yeah, yeah. I think um, especially highlighting more than one types. One of my past guests, she has Modi. And so it's just, there's 15 different types of Modi. I'm like, what? Even I'm learning. It's so much more than just what this black and white version that we've grown up to understand. But now we're seeing such a uniqueness of it. And I think it also further drives behind it, even if you take the diabetes aspect away of health is very unique to the individual and we have to stop putting cookie cutter stuff on people of what their health should look like because it truly is different for each person even if you have the same technical diagnosis both of my parents are type 2 and all of our regimens all of our everything are completely different the only difference is i got it earlier than they did <laughs> you know what i mean and it's so interesting and I think in a strange way, a blessing in disguise for us to be able to come together and realize, I feel like uh, it makes me think of like when the first, you know, set of humans on one side of the world met the other humans on the other mm. side of the world. It's, oh, we're not alone. Cool. Okay. So we can make this work or we know things got a little crazy, but for the most part, we're trying to make it work. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Unpacking the like sort of internal cultural, I guess, spirit of colonization or culture of colonization. That's unique to people who look like me and have come from Europe and the celebration of conquering and going out on your own and to these wild lands and all of those things. I think now, uh, at least I look at it, I'm like, oh my God, like how backwards was this? And like you said, you come over here and the first response was, ah, let's kill everybody. And let's institute our, their ways are wrong and let's not hear their side of things or try to meet in the middle. It's, let's go establish what we want. And I think collectively the children of their future, like let their laughter lead the way. But this, the generation that's, that are coming after us and, and a lot of times like people our age as well are more aware and more sensitive and I think more considerate of their fellow man. And, and I hope that trend continues. And there's a lot of exceptions to that. And I think there's a lot of people that feel not that way, but I don't fuck sure. with them. So same here. I think it's all about, it's really funny. I was talking about this on the live stream earlier, but of being able to respect that your way may not work for me and that's okay. And I really feel in so many more ways, even if we transcend the aspect of cultural backgrounds, if you will, that someone, like you said, was like, I don't like how they do things over there because that makes me uncomfortable. So I'm going to design rules that make me comfortable and make you follow them. And I think that is something that, like you said, we're coming to this awakening of, oh, we don't have to do that. Or, oh, we finally feel empowered that we don't have to do that. We finally can take up our own mantles and do what feels best for us and be able to say, yo, full respect over there. I'm going to do my thing over here. That's all we need to have an understanding of. And so... I am curious to see how the world is going to continue to, you know, evolve and transform as all of us are coming to this thought process that it truly is okay to be different and we should mm. celebrate those differences. And then we should take those unique things that we have and passions and bring them together because it can still be bonding. I think we thought of community as sameness. I, the, the book, The Giver, immediately came to my mind. We think that sameness is the answer 
when really it's uniqueness because, hey, what you're strong at, I might not be strong at, and I'd rather rely on you than for me to do it and not just jack it all up. And I think we're finally starting to get some traction because we've been at this for a minute, but we're finally getting some traction on here's how we can connect and here's how we can support and appreciate and not envy the fact that, hey, I might not be good at this skill, but I'm damn good at this skill. So I'm a rocket when it's my turn. And now I'm thinking of a scene from, I'm not sure if you're an anime fan, but My Hero Academia, when they were going through their test and they they were having to save civilians and the civilians were the ones giving them scores. And when people tried to do too much on their own, they got docked points. Mm. But when they learned what their roles were and they're like, hey, I'm good at this. This is what I need to stick to. They got points. All of that to say, I would actually love to dive into, I like to ask this of every guest because I I love understanding uh, people's perspectives, but there's obviously so many stigmas and misconceptions for the diabetic community and those living with it. And so I'm curious to know one misconception or more than one, if you have it, that you would like to debunk for the rest of the world here. Yeah. For me, I I thought a lot about this question uh, and thank you for prepping me for this interview, because like I said, I do a lot of things and it was nice to just sit down and prepare for the type of conversations that we're going to have today. And I wanted to twist it up a little bit uh, because I I think that there are, are so many misconceptions and I think generalizations are where people get in trouble with diabetes because it truly is a disease with too many inputs to diagnose exactly what's happening without all of the information. And I think that many of your listeners hopefully are just hitting the retweet button on that because they understand like what you do day in and day out, you could do the same thing and get a different result every single time. But a misconception that I want to focus on is more specific to me. And I think it it comes back to my, the way that I talk to myself and the way that I speak to myself is that I am capable. And Mm -hmm. whenever anything comes around, I want to look at it and say, I am capable of whatever it may be. And when you're talking about people who try to do too much of themselves, getting doc points. I was like, oof, that hits me close to home. I'd probably be losing some points. But a thing for me about diabetes that I want to debunk a misconception is that you cannot out achieve your diabetes. And I think Mm. that diabetes in particular, and I'm very, I'm guilty of this. And I, and that's why I am really being very intentional about having these discussions. Diabetes has an achievement culture problem. And what I mean by that is that even in your podcast graphics or in your write show notes or in your promotional materials, you'll pro- you could say Rob Howe, professional basketball player, entrepreneur, type A, whatever. And, and people would say, oh, wow, he does all that with diabetes. And that's true. And, I, and it is hard. And I sure would love a pat on the back every now and then for that. But I also think it minimizes the day-to-day struggle that people who are not professional athletes and has nothing to do with their diabetes. It just maybe has to do with their interests or their culture or what they prioritize as important. And so what I believe is true is no matter if you are just getting your kids to school on time every day, or you just wake up for school on time and you successfully eat a lunch that you enjoy, that is just as valuable as if you climb Mount Everest like my friend Sebastian, or if you play professional sports like me or my friend Brandon Denson, or if you speak to, if you're a Supreme Court justice, all of those things are are great and should be celebrated, but it's not an either or situation. So if you're listening to this and you get discouraged at times by people like me who are out there or doing their thing and looking, living their best life and diabetes can't stop me, that's true, but it doesn't make you less than. Uh, Your story matters, you're valid. And that is, I think, a misconception about diabetes. And it might be really niche. And I think people who are involved in the diabetes community maybe resonate with this more than other people. But me doing those things and me living my best life and living beyond, as the Beyond Type 1 tagline says, hasn't cured my diabetes at all. But it, and it's my journey. But I want people to know that if you don't do those things, you still matter. You, your story matters. And it will likely resonate with a lot more people than mine. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel that I had a friend actually who made a post about we've had this huge entrepreneurial surge, especially with everybody being at home and realizing their passions and wanting to pivot. And she was like, hey, just because I share a passion of mine doesn't mean I need to turn it into a business. Mm, Not everybody has to go out and do great things to be great. And I think, like you said, we do have an achievement culture, not only within the diabetes space, but just in general. Look how the the rise of celebrity status just from online personalities have risen. Of Everybody thinking that as soon as I turn on my camera to say something, that means that I'm trying to be the next 
I don't know, name an internet person. And it's no, I'm just willing to share my thoughts and be open about it because I believe in perspective and discussion. It does not mean that I'm trying to have 10 million followers and be the next Kylie Jenner. Like, far from it. It's just more so of a, some people want to stand up and show and be a change maker and a leader. And some people are just fine chilling at home. I'm not here trying to make $10 million. Would it be nice? Sure. I'm just as comfortable making enough money to sustain myself and to have some emergency stuff and to be able to splurge a little bit on a vacation or two, right? That is totally fine with me. I'll warm Buffett that all day. And so I think it is a valid point that whatever feels good for you and whatever that win is for you, you, we should celebrate that. Not, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. Because as soon as we get into that, I'm not space, then you're going to pile yourself down and take away the beauty of what you have achieved. And I think you're absolutely right. Like sometimes we don't look back at that and appreciate that because waking up is absolutely an achievement. A lot of people don't. And (laughs) I, I think it's very difficult to operate from a place of gratitude in the sort of always on hyper-connected digital world. And especially when everybody was separated or at home or alone, you know, I, I was very fortunate to spend 2020 with my wife and we spent more time together than we ever had before. We got married during the year. We, unfortunately, our relationship grew, but I think a lot, there's many people who are single and they were in a small place or they had to go out and they had to, are still out wearing masks and wearing them all day, whether they're essential workers or frontline workers in the healthcare, or they're working at Whole Foods or at Albertsons and they're, you know, serving people or they're, they're service industry, bartenders, waiters, servers, those people have had a very different experience than, than many of us. And I think yeah. checking that privilege and and really living and operating in a place of gratitude for that while being considerate of our fellow man is a really important thing to do. But I also want to, you know, share something that's always been a big part of my life is that comparison is the thief of joy. And mm-hmm. we live in a really big comparison culture. You were talking about the internet. I look at people that I, I, I like idolize as, uh, you know, idolize is, a, is an interesting word and maybe triggering for some people, but people that I look up to and I would be awesome to be like this person. And those people sure. to me are like, you know, my, my heroes all always have been the top five. It's like Michael Jordan. I got the Jordan posters behind me, Steve Jobs, John Mayer, LeBron James. These are Drake. These are these high achiever, high net worth innovators, what, what have you. And live in this sort of flexing culture where Mm -hmm. all we're doing on our social media platforms is taking pictures of ourselves in cool places or check out my watch, look at my chain, look at my car, look at what I have, look at what, look at my possessions. And a thing that I uncovered in recent years was from a man named Derek Sivers, who was an entrepreneur early on in his life and sold his company. And now he and his wife and their family live in New Zealand on the farm in the middle of nowhere. And one of the things that he said in the interview that I was listening to was, it won't make you happy. And I spent a lot of my life saying, okay, when I make six figures at my job, then I will do whatever. Then, oh, or when I'm 35, I'm going to have a house with my picket fence and two and a half kids and a 401k and uh, two expeditions and four weeks of vacation every year. And that will give me some sort of fulfillment. And what I'm here to tell you is that while those things are cool and they obviously are good in some ways, if that's what you're into, they're not going to bring you any sort of fulfillment or happiness. And you have to find what your purpose is somewhere else, because there will be a day where you get that and you say, wow, I thought this would feel different. And I thought this was going to be some crowning fireworks moment in my life. And I was going to wake up and the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir was going to be like, yes, let's go. And you were just going to feel like (laughs) your gas is in your tank and that these people that we look up to, they have all of this stuff. What you don't see is that is the cost. And I think Kanye West said it like 30 beats a day all summer. Mm-hmm. And like, you don't see that part of those journeys. All is the result and success culture. I'm now getting, now I'm getting on the pulpit a little bit. A success culture <laughs> is, it, it has, it's a double-edged sword it really is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it is. Sorry. So many good things. I'm just like, where do I dive in? I, I think it's one of those things where like, I recently had this moment like two weekends ago, I'm at my partner's house and I literally woke up and I just started crying. And he doesn't know. He has no clue. He is knocked out. And I'm just like, oh my God, I'm so happy. I don't know what it was. Like, I just felt this full, deep sensation of what? 
it's not perfect right now. Like I still got bills to pay. I still got things that I'm trying to catch up on. I'm still trying to build my own business and start my own thing and claw at something that no one in my family has really done before, but I'm healthy. I am with someone I love. I'm with surrounded by friends that I love. I have family that I love and I can truly not complain right now. And I'm so happy and I cannot believe that I just felt this. Mm. And I just like, because it's just like one of those moments where I realize, and you know what, I'm 31. So it's, it almost feels weird saying, looking back at my twenties, like it was, you know, so long ago, but like, even still there were just deep pitful moments of just, Oh, I hate life. And to now look back and be like, I would be so depressed if I was still that person so many years ago and I don't have all these things because I did the exact same thing. Me and my sister would sit in our room, oh, we're going to have this by this you know, time and this by this time and this by this time and this by this time and life will be great. And I'm so glad <laughs> that neither of us did that because I would be miserable. I would be miserable because I wouldn't have taken the chance or hit the low point to realize that I needed to take the chance on pursuing things that felt good, like this podcast, like the other things that I'm trying to build. Like I never would have even thought about that, let alone dared enough to do it. Had I not like had to have that struggle a bit, because now I'm sitting here, you know what? You can take me out today. And I'd be like, I wish I could have done more, but I'm glad with what I have done. And I think that's the the hard thing that I see people searching for. And that's where the second half of what I'm doing, similar to you, like you've got your, your ad agency because diabetes isn't just you. It's a part of you, but you also have other things that you do. And that's where I'm at. I'm like, I love helping people realize that being themselves is awesome and that we should be able to operate as ourselves. We shouldn't have to go into work and code switch and do all these things mm. to make ourselves feel valuable simply because being ourselves rubs somebody the wrong way. It's not your job to manage your feelings. It's your job to manage your feelings and do the description that you signed up for and go home. And so that's a huge passion of mine is why can't I just be Taylor in this space? Mm. Why are you bothered by Taylor in this space. That's not like some stuff you got to work on. I'm so blessed and grateful to just feel this gratitude so deeply now as I look at other people who were just like, why can't I have that? And it's all oh, I get it. I get it. I get why people freak out now because it's seeing past the stuff. It's seeing past the titles and the supposed fulfillment that we've been taught is it. When it's no, it's so much deeper than that. It's being at home with yourself. And knowing that being yourself moves you forward in ways that brings you opportunity, that allows you um, access, that allows you just connection. It's way deeper than having to worry about who got the biggest ride. I'm like, I can't wait to pay this off so I can be done. I can't wait to <laughs> you keep, know? It's like I have this car. I love it. <laughs> I would love that I don't have to pay for it anymore. Like it's just mm -hmm. already done and I can just like it still. I don't need yeah. another one. I don't know. And if I had to explain that to 25-year-old Rob, he'd be like, bro, what are you oh. talking about? And <laughs> you mentioned connection. So I'm going to I'm gonna go off script here and I'm going to connect with what you told me about waking up and, and, and having that kind of emotional moment of, of gratitude because I had one as well. And I've, I've been going through a tough time mentally. I'm uh, a little yeah. bit burnt out. I'm reconciling what I should have known all along is that there are people who, no matter what I do, are not going to like me. And I took yeah. that really personally and lost a lot of sleep over it and paid a lot of money to my therapist who is dope. And I see a lot, <laughs> but I have to try to get over that. But something that really struck me like two weeks ago, because my wife and I, it was crazy. My mom turned 60 and my wife turned 30, like back to back weeks. So those are big milestones for two very important yeah. women in my life that I had to show up for. And so we took a road trip for my mom to the beach for my mom's birthday. And my wife is a photographer and my sister and her husband were there. And she was able to take some really great photos of them on the beach. We get back and I'm tired and I go to my work day and she shows me these photos. She says, I want to show you these photos of that I took. And she was just, she shows me all the photos that she takes. And I think they're all great. And I, I was flipping through them and it hit me as I'm looking at these beautiful photos of my sister and her husband on the beach that my wife took these amazing photos of my sister and I started crying going through. I was like, wow, I'm a 60 year old grandma, just like crying about my, how lucky I am to have these beautiful photos for forever of my family, yeah. of these people that I love by my family who I've, I've brought into my life. And in that moment, I was just overcome with emotion and I tried to fight it for a little bit. And I was just like, no, I'm just going to cry on the couch at 5 yep. p.m. 
And that's not something that, you know, back to 25 year old Rob, I wouldn't have been comfortable talking about that. I would have held yeah. that in. And it just, I think about it now, it's so much to me that I'm able to disconnect from those old habits of, of fear of being myself and fear of expressing myself in a way that's not traditionally masculine. And, and, and also just being grateful for the time with family and celebrate my wife's awesome creativity. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm curious to know because you were diagnosed about 16-ish, right? I was. And I imagine that brings not only a lot of challenges, but on top of the struggle as a teenage boy and you're trying to step into this manhood and you're trying to fill the shoes of what society deems as manhood, you add on top of that a chronic condition Mm -hmm. and having to maintain, you know, that status quo, if you will. So I'm curious as to what that climb up came to from 16 year old Rob to Rob here today. That's a great question. I and my cat is throwing a fit, so I'm going to open this door for him. (laughs) No worries. That'll be a fun listen for the pod. But I often tell people who are parents or caregivers of teenagers with diabetes to let's hold off on the diabetes for one second, because I think we, as we get further away from our teen years, we forget how hard they are. I don't care if you have diabetes or, or maybe you just hit a growth spurt and are tripping over your feet like I was. Being a teenager is hard and teenagers are vicious to each other and Mm -hmm. they haven't been around this earth that long. So a bad day to a 13 year old is a large percentage of their life. It's double the percentage of their life as a bad day for a 26 year old. So you start to, as time expands, and this is one of the things that as I learned, I was like, wow, this makes so much sense. Uh, A mean comment from somebody about your diabetes when you're 16 could ruin your month it could send you in a spiral because it it hurts to have people to be different. And when you're a teenager, you're still maturing and growing and people point at things that are different because it's easy to do that. So back to me, I was diagnosed on June, January 1st, 2005. So happy new year. And I had, and I only learned this after talking with all the people on the podcast and for thousands of conversations with people over the years about diagnosis with diabetes. I had the one percenter diabetes diagnosis experience at Children's Medical Center of Dallas. They told me from minute one, Rob, any dream you have for your life is still within reach as long as you take care of your diabetes. And so for me, I'm an achiever. We said that earlier. I'm okay. filtering, okay, here's what I want. My, my path through it is to take care of my diabetes. So I was like, cool, let's learn it. Let's go. I'm ready. I understand like that reward system was getting to do what I wanted. And that really resonated with me. And there's no way they could have known that I was that kind of person. But yeah. I assumed wrongly because it was my lived experience that everybody had that experience. And that is wrong because many people, I think the majority of people have a very different conversation with a doctor on day one, probably better now than it was 15 years ago, 16 years ago, but uh, still not as positive as mine. You go back to being 16. All I wanted to do was go play college basketball. And I was just starting to get good enough to where that was an option. And when you're 16, I'm fortunate that I was past my like going through puberty, like really rebellious, like snotty phase of being a teenager. (laughs) And I was more of a young man at that point. And that's not to say that I didn't have wild emotional ups and down swings because I definitely smashed a light bulb out of a lamp one time for no reason other than (laughs) I was being super teenage emotional and listening to emo music. But it was hard. And I think being a teenager is tough. And at the same time, I had been sick for a while. And I remember the first nurse in the ER that gave me insulin. I was like, whoa, give me more of that. I know like I, whatever you, that was what was wrong with me. I just knew right away. And so I found, especially early on that I was, I had probably been struggling for a while to develop physically, to develop mentally, to feel good. And the doctors say it doesn't just happen right away for most people that you develop the chronic condition over a period of weeks or months. And that was probably true for me. So immediately, like my first game back, I was on the varsity as a sophomore and my first game back, I had a double as my best game ever at, to that point. And I saw so all my friends would clown me like, bro, Rob, you weren't that good before you got diabetes, bro. It gave you some sort of powers. And oh, wow. to an extent, that's true because I was operating on a, at 100%. And I don't know, it, it, there were challenges adjusting. I think I had an, I have amazing parents, everything in my life and hearing you talk about your parents. I feel, I feel like we have a very similar relationship with our families and without them, I would not be the man I am at all. Everything good in my life has come from them. 
and they really took ownership of it. And my mom had been a, she owned a Curves franchise for 12 years. And so she worked with women in health planning and with diabetes. And my father had open heart surgery seven or eight years before I was diagnosed with diabetes. And so she had really taken ownership of his health as well. And so we were able to work through that as a family. And I remember my dad sitting down with my group of bros and he was like, okay, guys, you know, Rob has diabetes. Now here's what you need to know. And they were very involved in making sure that I was supported and safe. But a thing that I, I thought of last summer and I hadn't really given it a lot of thought up until then was that summer I went, we went on a family vacation on a cruise. We went, uh, I, I went to two sleepaway basketball camps, one at Duke university and one at Baylor university. And that's what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to be a college athlete and thought that I could play at that level. And they could have said, you know what, Rob, with the diabetes now, we should probably take it slow. We should probably be safe, but they trusted me. And they had conversations with the nurses and with the athletic staff at these camps. And they were like, hey, my son has diabetes. He's probably going to be fine, but we're going to call you every day and check up on him. And we yeah. want him to go live his life. And that made a huge difference for me because I knew that I could, I went away. I, w I went away for a weekend or a week and I can't, and nothing bad happened. And I came back and I was like, wow, this, the, everything in my, every dream I have for my life is possible as long as I take care of my diabetes. So my care was very closely linked with my dreams, which was extremely resonant for me at that time for a recipe for success. So there were um, challenges. There were low blood sugars. There, I once, it's this weird to think about. Like I looked at the nutrition facts of these gummy bears or, or uh, jelly beans. Sorry, I was in the airport and I read the serving size wrong. I read one ounce. And so I bought a pound thinking that it was one pound was what was the number. <laughs> and then I like got off the plane because I ate a whole pound of jelly beans and I tested my blood sugar and the meter said high. And I was like, uh-oh. Uh, because I miscounted the carbs. I, I didn't give myself enough uh, insulin for, for those jelly beans. And so, sure, there were challenges, but I don't know. I just was really determined, and I'm a pretty driven type A person. And I think a, a type diabetes, I, I talk about like type 1 turns a lot of people into type A because there's results sure. and kind of goal-oriented type of thinking. And I don't know, my, my psychology resonated with me. And I often said, even before getting involved in the diabetes community at large, I'm glad that I was, that I got diabetes and that's the thing that I have to deal with because I'm able to handle it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting when I hear people talk about their diagnosis and how it's been such a driving force. And I, I denied it for about two and a half years, even though I, I pretty much grew up around it, but my parents didn't make it a, a big deal. My mom was diagnosed first and all I knew was like, all the sugary stuff was gone and like peanut butter and jelly tasted weird because we had sugar-free jelly. And I was just like, okay, that's strange. Like that's all I really knew and understood. And then when my dad was diagnosed, I didn't really know. It's not like anybody's going to come home and announce it to their teenage kid. Like, oh, I got diabetes. which is like, you're taking a lot of pills. What's up? Like, yeah, diabetes. I'm like, okay, maybe kids to know. And then as I got closer, I spent the whole year prior trying to avoid it. Cause I'm like, okay, clearly Big tag one, tag two, both my grandparents do. Like it's on its way. Like it has to be. I got to do something to get ahead of this. But I went the the diet culture route, and that is terrible. And so to go from like that denial phase, I was diagnosed at twenty five, so I'm like still trying to party, still trying to do things, trying to climb the corporate ladder, all that things, and only to realize like it's not going away just because they gave you a bottle of pills, and if you don't actually follow suit with your actions you're going to stay stuck. You're, you're going to have to do more than this. And so um, the same, it's had I not been diagnosed, I would literally not be sitting in front of you because I right. would have probably pursued something completely different. Probably would have stayed in the toxic relationship that I was in at the time, all sorts of stuff that would have probably led to a completely different, possibly bitter Taylor, um, just because it took me having to feel like I wasn't finding people my age that at least were a similar diagnosis. Now I have. And I'm like, where were you guys five years ago? I've met like literally a group of women that all of us were diagnosed about the same time. And a couple from, uh, from beyond type one, actually. And I'm like, where, 
where were y'all? I needed y'all and even stuff like that. But still, I never would have crossed their paths simply because it happened. And as much as I like to advocate and let people know, especially for prediabetes and, and type two, you do have an angle to get ahead of it for sure. Even managing holistically, it's one of my goals that I would like to, to see if I can do. I think it's a good challenge for me. Like, it's not the end of the world if it doesn't go that way. It's totally okay. And the things that I've seen people do, like yourself, like Mike, like others, if had I not been diagnosed, who knows what I would be doing right now. And I think it's one of those, this is probably the thing that I needed to receive, as weird as that sounds. Am I going to say proud? No. Because if I could trade it in, I, I, heartbeat. Yep. Take it. You can have my whole car if I just don't have to have diabetes or something. But I appreciate having it because it's pushed me to be who I am today. It's so hard to appreciate it. It's it a is. real heart of gratitude, like a real, a lot of really hard work to do that. Absolutely. And at the same time, if I wasn't diagnosed, I wouldn't be here either with you today. Yeah. So at the same time, people are often, I think that's one of people's favorite things to ask on panels is if you could not have diabetes, like, would you? And it's such a leading question. And I surprise <laughs> people because I'm like, no, <laughs> if, if you gave me the choice, you can have it back. And then their response immediately is, but Rob, what about all this stuff that you've made, all this creation, all of this community? And I say, I am grateful for those things. However, I believe that there's probably other communities I would have gotten plugged into if I didn't have this. What would that yeah. look like? And that doesn't mean that I'm not grateful. It doesn't mean that I don't believe that I can help people and have an impact on people's live, lives. But yeah. what if there's somebody out there that wants to take it, they can have it. That, You're human. I, I am, right? <laughs> and I don't know. I think it's just refreshing to hear that from even from people like me, diabetes sucks most of the time. Yeah. And yeah. even when it's good, it's bad. If you're feeling that out there, feeling that weight, I see you and I'm there. It is not always rainbows and butterflies. Nope. I was treating a little before we hopped on. Like, really? <laughs> like, just keep scanning. Like, all right, that's fine. Let's smash some juice. Like, well, cool. <laughs> so speaking of diabetics doing things, I, I really want to dig a little bit deeper before I let you go. Like, how you really came to that idea of I want to do something solely centered around diabetics and, and how they're making impact. Because you, like you said, you had a great medical team that pushed you to be normal, essentially, that you don't have to think of your the rest of your teenage years and young adulthood as no longer can you venture and do fun things because you've got diabetes. So what was it that made you decide, I want to create a platform to support others who are doing great things despite having this condition? I was on this trip to... Columbia. I was in Bogota and I got to go for two weeks and it was this kind of random, I don't know, it seems random, steps are ordered many times. And I made a choice because we had these two guys who came from, one came from Colombia, one came from Honduras through a program at my work through the International Center for Journalists, which is a governing body here in the U.S. And they pair journalists from Middle East and Africa and South America, South and Central America, with companies in the United States on the work exchange. And we had two guys at my company I was working at, at the time and Memorial Day weekend was coming up and I didn't really have any plans, but they didn't have a car and we take Memorial Day weekend off in the US and they don't have that in where they're from. And so it hadn't really been, they didn't have anything to do. And so I thought of that, so I, I'm not a, a person who thinks super far ahead. And so I was like, you know what? These guys are probably gonna be bored this weekend. I don't have anything to do. Let me extend the offer. So I gave him my number and I said, hey, if you guys want to go around town, I'll drive you. We can go see some stuff. So just text me. And so they did. And we went around and we saw like really normal Dallas tourist stuff. We went to Reunion Tower, which is like a, the golf ball building. And yeah. we went to the Dallas Arboretum and we just hung out. Oh, I love the Arboretum. It was a nice day. We had a fun time. And I was able yeah. to connect with them as friends in a way that I hadn't connected with them yet. And they uh, both English speak English as a second language. And so it was good for me to learn about them and just really have a nice day together. And when they went back to DC for, because uh, they have, it was, there was not just them, but it was a, a large group of people all over the, all, that went to companies all over the country. They met back and had a summit and talked about what they learned. There was a portion where they were able to nominate someone or given the option to nominate someone from the company they visited to come visit them in their home country. And so mm. they nominated me without me knowing. And then a couple of weeks later, I, they emailed me and said, Hey, you've been nominated for this program. Would you like to go? And I was like, boom. Okay. Yes. I would love to go. And I, so I was really intentional because 
they told me like leading up to the trip that the trip's insurance wouldn't allow me to go out of my hotel without my translator, who was Daniel, was my friend that was had visited our company and he was going to be my showing me around, my translator and security guy. And if he's not with me after 6 p.m., I, I can't leave the hotel. The insurance won't cover me and parts of Columbia are very dangerous and it's just a big city, just like anything else. And you guys who don't see me, I'm 6'6", 225 pounds. And in South and Central America, it is really easy to point me out because I'm much larger <laughs> than everybody else. I knew that I was going to have a lot of time to think in my hotel room. So I, I made a, a really conscious choice to say, all right, I'm going to try to figure out what I want to do with my life. And I was having a 26 year old millennial crisis where I was shaking my fist at the heavens. Like my career was going well. I felt like I, my hobbies were fun. I, I felt like I was, you know, living, my life was cool, but there was something missing. And I, my dad told me something when I was in high school, he said, you're always happiest when you're helping people. And then mm. he was talking about me specifically, but I think that applies to, to basically everyone. And so I was like, yeah. okay, if I'm going to do something bigger that's outside of myself, that's not work, that's helping people, how, who do I focus on and help? And people who wear tubed insulin pumps will know that when you're wearing gym shorts, sometimes the pockets are cut a certain way. And then you lean back in a chair and your insulin pump will fall out or your cell phone will fall out or your keys will fall out or whatever. So my insulin pump in that moment falls and clatters on the floor. And I'm like, Okay, this is a sign. Maybe my story of playing pro basketball can help somebody with diabetes. Maybe my story mm. can have an impact. And so I started thinking about that. And I had been doing social media marketing at an agency for three years at the time. I had got a pretty good understanding of it. And podcasts were something I was interested in. And I thought, you know, maybe I could build this diabetes platform. And I started searching for people on, on Instagram and I started making friends and sharing my story and connecting with people. And before you know it, people started coming on the podcast and a lot of it was the right place at the right time. But I raised my hand and I said, Hey, I'm Rob and I have diabetes and I want to be a part of this. And I think many people who are like yourself, who have creator platforms or want to give something back, they, they remember that moment. And so that was me. I was in, in a hotel room in Columbia. I was like, okay, diabetics doing things is a good working title. I'm sure I'll change it later. And I never did. It stayed, it stayed the same because what's the first thing that you do when you're diagnosed with diabetes? Generally, now you get on your phone and you say, your doctor tells you, you get on your phone and say, oh man, can people with diabetes do whatever it is you like mm -hmm. to do, whether it's hike outdoors or do yoga or play basketball or kayak or run or climb Mount Everest, travel. I have people on my podcast now that have done all of those things and yeah. tried to say, okay, how many stories of different people from around the world with different backgrounds can I tell so that when someone like them gets diagnosed, they have somebody to go to that they can learn from. And so that's where it all stemmed from. Since then, I mean, we've had over a million downloads on the pod. We've had over 200 episodes. We've done different series and experiment with different formats over the years. And I don't know, it's given me a purpose. It's given me a lot of opportunities. And fortunately, it's been able to turn those into opportunities for other people as well. We've grown my my content creator hire. Uh, I was able to hire about a year ago, actually. Was, her name is Eritrea. And she helps me run the Instagram and is a co-host on the pod. And she's great and has brought new perspective and new life to diabetics doing things. So when I think about what, where we go from here, continue to tell the stories. I think continue to dig deep into what it means to advocate. Because I think it first, you got to advocate for yourself in your everyday life. Mm -hmm. uh, you got to have conversations either with strangers or people close to you or in the workplace or in your school to advocate for your care. Uh, you've got to learn to advocate for uh, legislation, especially here in the United States, talking about insulin for all, talking about mm -hmm. price caps, and talking about making sure that people with diabetes who are underinsured or uninsured can afford their medicine. And, and number three is you got to advocate for the life that you want to live and you have to figure out what's right for you. And for some people, they don't want to be out as a diabetic. They don't want, they don't want yeah. to include that. But for me, being out and connecting with other people with diabetes has taught me new things. It's given me better health outcomes. It's involved. I've met some of my closest friends from it and it's given me a new perspective and a new life and I'm grateful for it. And it's also brought opportunities that come along with that. And I'm grateful for those as well. So something that I'm trying to do now is, okay, I'm not going to be playing pro basketball anymore. I don't want to just do things for the sake of getting invited back to speak somewhere. I want to sure. try to create opportunities for the next generation of people with diabetes, whether that's scholarships or giving people opportunities to go to diabetes camp who couldn't go before, or just highlighting stories that don't get told very often. And that's not always easy to do as a side hustle, but 
I don't know. It's something that I'm really passionate about. And I, I have a heart for people with diabetes. I really do. And I'm not a health coach. I'm a pop star, not a doctor. But I like to I like to be me and to share pe- when people tag me in 69 blood sugars, which is a thing that has happened over the years, over a couple thousand times. Like that's super fun to me. I love to be able to laugh about things that are really scary, like hypoglycemia, low blood sugar, and just put a spin on it that's uniquely mine and fun. And I've made some great friends and gotten to be in rooms that I wouldn't have been in if I hadn't have raised my hand and say, hey, I'm Rob and I have diabetes. Yeah. Also, I gave a lot of buckets to people with an insulin pump on the basketball court, and they did not have one on. And that always, back to basketball, has always been my first love. I become a different person, a very competitive, a little bit brash, a little, a lot of, I I have uncoupled a lot of toxic athlete masculine uh, traits. But when I get back on the court, all of those come back out. And now I have an insulin pump strapped to my leg in my spandex. And sometimes when I make a killer move on somebody, I tap that insulin pump just to remind me that I'm not doing this alone and I'm carrying a little bit heavier burden than some of these other people. And that's a fun reminder for myself. That's awesome, dude. Like seriously, you are, you really are representing something really well that I know I'll say for myself, but I'm sure anybody else listening is like goals and in our own unique way, because I think that's something that even as I, you know, started this journey, I wasn't sure, am I affecting change? Am I um, doing something? Am I recentering myself to make sure that I'm not doing it for the vanity aspect of it? I'm doing it because I care and I want somebody who was in my same position those years ago. I don't know how to be a woman of color with diabetes and trying to be 25 and do all these things and not know what the hell to do, or that I have a whole host of people that I can lean on that isn't just specific to one type and things like that. And so I just really appreciate it, especially for the Dallas area, being from Dallas myself um, and all the other organizations and things that you've been involved in. It really feels good to know, hey, somebody's taking care of home because I want to get out. <laughs> yeah, uh, I lived in Austin for a little while when I was a kid, too. There's a, a very closeness that I have to that area as well. We talked about what's next. I've become... In my, as I enter into my thirties and mature and slow down a little bit, I have a deep connection to Dallas and it's my home. And for a long time, I didn't know if that was going to be the case. And I still don't not live here forever, but I know that there are people here in Dallas who could benefit from the conversation that we're having today, who have no idea where to encounter it. They're not using Instagram to discover health tips or to meet friends in the community regarding diabetes, they may be compartmentalizing it just to get by. They may not know about the latest and greatest technology or treatment or options from an access perspective that could save them money or get them things that they need. And one thing we do better than anything in Texas is church, baby. And I know that friends of mine that I grew up with are pastors and are heavily involved in churches. And I know that there are people in those churches who need diabetes help. And I know that's true of big organizations. And what I'm trying to do here, you know, locally is really leverage some of that influence. And you say goals, and I appreciate that. It means so much to me, but at the same time, my goal is not yet accomplished yet. And I think like, I want to establish something that is not for vanity metrics. That's not performative. And a lot of social media is performative and that's just how it is. And also I'm a performer. I've been, I love being in the spotlight. My wife sometimes rolls her (laughs) eyes about it, but I wanted to be an NBA player. That's the only thing I ever wanted to be when I was a kid. I wanted to, I still do. Honestly, if I could still do it, I would do, I I would. Uh, Obviously that's not the journey that for me, but I wanted to be in the spotlight. I wanted to be in the have to answer the hard questions on on the spot. And now I want to make an impact for people who measurably locally and maybe not get credit for it. That isn't, it's, it's, I'm not in it for the the glory. I've learned when you change your metrics that, and you really understand and you're rooted in an intention that says, I am here to do good damn what everybody else says. And there are going to be people who criticize. Uh, There are people who are probably criticize me today and that's fine. They can talk, but, and I'm trying, I'm just trying to do the work. I'm human. I've learned a lot. And I think only when you totally abandon your capacity for learning, have you stopped evolving as a person. And I've made mistakes. I will continue to make them because I'm human, but I'm going to lead with my heart. and, And I have a heart for not only people with diabetes, but there's something about home And if you can make an impact, even on a small level in your local community, there's a lot to be said for that. So I don't know. That's kind of my, it's my, I I don't, I'm not going big. I'm going to, I'm going small. And I, how can I make a more of an impact locally? We hired uh, what's fun crossing back over into my agency world. We hired two and I didn't even hire them. I just, my, my team hired two folks recently who both live with diabetes and 
to be able to look at them and say, hey, we pay 100% of healthcare at this company because I live with diabetes and I know it's a huge burden sometimes trying to figure mm -hmm. out your insurance coverage. So that's taken care of. And being able to see the lights come on for those people and be like, whoa, okay, this is something that, I, that has been a burden for me for a while. That makes it worth it for me. Now, I can't give it to everybody yet. Maybe we'll get there someday. If we do, that's a great problem to have. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. Like, seriously. And I, I think you said it, it best, like affecting something small versus trying to, to go big. And I love the the ladder analogy where it's you're never climbing a ladder that has these big rungs so spread out. They're always these little small ones. And before you know it, you're at the top. So Incremental progress. Yeah, uh, I brought it back. Yeah, I brought did. it back. I like it. I like it. You, you're the host with the most. I've been playing with around this joke that I'm like the host with the most insulin on board. That's just yeah. a, a fun diabetes twist. And yeah, you just hosted me. That was expert level. The chef's kiss. That was excellent. Thank you. Rob, before I let you go, I got to know, what's one piece of advice that you would give to somebody that's newly diagnosed? Take it slow. I think this is a marathon, not a sprint. And what's, while I do believe that there will be a day where people who would have been diagnosed with diabetes will not have to be diagnosed uh, and there will be preventative mm -hmm. care. And there's a lot of really good stuff coming out recently that's, that suggests that prevention is, is probably our first step to the C word, the cure, but to take it slow. And I think a lot of people jump both feet into the diabetes community. I can't tell you how many accounts over the last six years that are diabetes related have followed me and they've, we've had conversations, they've posted 12 to 15 different pieces of content and they're all in. And then they, they realize that it's a heavy burden to carry that managing diabetes is a full-time job and you never get vacation, that you still have to go do a job because the rent's due on the first and you got insurance. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, Oh man, there's, Oh, I forgot to post my diabetes thing today. Oh, we can do it tomorrow. And then eventually they're like, you know what? This is too much for me. And you can talk to people like JDRF. They talk about this all the time. The first year of diagnosis is the best year for volunteers because parents and friends and family are all in. And then year two, because diabetes doesn't go away, they burn out and that's human. That's so normal. And diabetes yeah. is a heavy burden. So take it slow celebrate the small wins and just know that even though this is a never ending roller coaster and treadmill or what hamster wheel, whatever you, analogy that you want to apply to it, you could look to the left and the right and you're not alone. And in order for you to get the benefits of that, you've got to raise your hand and say, I have diabetes. So, Hey, hear me roar. And, and you'll find people like you. There's someone like you out there with diabetes and all you have to do to find them is look. Yeah. I said it better myself. Dude, where can people find you? How can they connect with you if they want to keep up with all of the big and small things that you are doing? Um, how can they reach out to you? I'm very online. So you can Google Rob Howe Diabetes and all my stuff will come up. But I'm on Instagram, Rob Howe 21, YouTube, Diabetics Doing Things, DiabeticsDoingThings.com. Diabetics Doing Things is on all major uh, podcast platforms. So reach out, come say hello, uh, especially if you listen to this great show uh, with Taylor. This Thank you so much for having me on. And it's good to be on this side of the mic sometimes. So we'll have to return the favor and get you on diabetics doing things. <laughs> I'd be honored. It would be awesome. But thank you. You dropped so many amazing words of wisdom, not only for diabetics, but I think for anybody. And it's just a reminder that no matter where you are, you can do whatever you need to, whatever you want to. So thank you so much for your energy and for your spirit. It's great sitting down and having conversations like this that are just so progressive and like pushing things forward, but also appreciating those still moments. So this kind of stuff fills know. my cup. I, <laughs> I, I come away from conversations like this with people with diabetes better than I came in. And so thank you for that opportunity. Absolutely. We'll have to have you back again, but until then, we'll catch you guys next time. Okay, you guys, this was hard to, to actually end because we could have kept going. I, I really, I had to fight the urge to just keep going because there's just so many great things and points that, that he brings up. And I feel like Rob and I could really dig deep into a dialogue. Rob, thank you so much for lending your perspective, your energy, your time. I so appreciate people lending their time. I know it's very valuable. There's so many things that I've walked away from in this conversation, but I think there is an overarching theme here that I feel like has been said a couple of times now is that, hey, you can do anything that you want to do. Diabetes does suck though. 
And so take your time and find the community. And I think it's something great to see someone else with kind of a similar uh, background bring things up and to take care of their city in that way. As you see people doing big things uh, across the board, it's okay to remember that the things that you do in small ways has just as much impact as anything else. Incremental progress, as you heard throughout. Rob, thank you so much again. I'm really excited for you guys to listen back to this and I hope you get some value out of this. Be sure to check out the show notes and be sure to follow him on Instagram, YouTube, all of the things. He's doing great stuff, not only personally, but for other diabetics with his company, Diabetics Doing Things. And I'm really excited to see what he does next. Until then, you guys already know every Tuesday and Thursday, you can either catch me or me and a friend and we'll catch you guys next time. Bye.